When David Joseph Vetter and Carol Vetter had their first son, he had inherited a disease that meant that he basically had no immune system and died seven months later. Doctors advised the parents that if they were to have another son, there was a 50% chance of him being born with the same illness. The Vetters, who already had a daughter, decided to proceed with another pregnancy. Their third child, David Philip Vetter, was born September 21, 1971, and was then immediately placed into a sterilised cocoon bed. Initially, the plan was to treat young David with a bone marrow transplant, but it turned out that his sister was not a match. Until a match was found, his life would be lived in the bubble. Everything was sterilised before it reached David. Water, air, food, diapers, clothes. David knew no human contact during this time, and he was only touched through the special plastic gloves attached to the walls of the chamber. He was unable to go outside and make friends, and he had to be schooled from home. His life was in the bubble. He was alone. In 1977, NASA developed a special suit that would allow Vetter to get out of his bubble and walk in the outside world, though he only used it seven times. At the age of 12, doctors decided to use David's sister's bone marrow as no perfect match could be found. Imagine, 12 years alone in a bubble. The bone marrow was accepted by David's body, but a hitchhiker had also made its way in. The bone marrow had dormant traces of the Epstein-Barr virus, which could not be screened for at the time. The virus infected David, and he became ill with infectious mononucleosis a few months after the transplant. Fifteen days later, David Vetter died at the age of 12 from Burkitt's lymphoma. It wasn't until the last few weeks of his life that he was able to have any contact and kiss his mother goodbye. Welcome to Genetic Drift, the podcast where we take a deep dive into the world of genetic diseases. Well, that was really sad. Yeah, it's a pretty tragic story. It's also quite an astounding story that someone was able to live in that form of isolation for so long. That's so tragic. So, do you have any idea what we're going to be talking about today? Nope. <laughs> That's fair. This is a very rare disease, and I would be surprised if you'd ever heard of it before. What is it? This illness is called X-linked severe combined immunodeficiency, or, as I'm going to call it now, X-SID. X-SID? Yes. Okay, so what does that mean? Okay, so X-SID is an immunodeficiency disorder in which the body produces very few of these cells known as T-cells and natural killer cells. Well, what is... what are those? <laughs> so, the immune system has two stages of defence. It has the first step, where it is just generally responding to an infection, and with this, it often uses natural killer cells. Now, these cells... Natural killer, can't be saved, ba 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 I don't understand the reference. 
Psycho killer? Psycho killer? Okay, never mind. Now, natural killer cells kill cells that are infected. And for this, they don't actually need to know the specific infection. T cells are part of the secondary response. So this is once the immune system has learned what is infecting it, and it can adapt more appropriately. Okay, so there are there are killer cells which just attack any any illness they find in the body. Yes. And there are T cells which you say they've they've learnt from previous infections. So that's the kind of cell that your body would be able to make after a vaccine? Yes, you would make them after a vaccine. However, they do have different roles. So some of them arrive during the first infection, once your body has learned a little bit about it, and they can develop a more specific response to the infection. And then... So the killer cells have gone out, gone, hey guys, we have a disease here. And then the T cells come in and go, we need to kill this disease in this way. Well, there's another cell involved, which is why I didn't want to go into much detail about this. <laughs> but basically what it does is it takes some of these markers and it passes it on to the rest of the immune system. And then the immune system can use those markers to work out how it's going to target the infection. And that's when it brings out these cells called T cells and also B cells. B cells are the ones that make antibodies. So that's like with the uh, antibody test when people measure how much antibodies produced after a vaccine. And T cells are the ones that give specific responses, and they come under four different categories. Those categories are the helper cells, which help regulate the immune response so that you neither overreact or underreact. You then have the T killer cells, which will kill infected cells, but will also kill cancerous cells, provided that it has a marker that that cell recognizes. You have T regulators, which are responsible for ending the response to an to uh, an infection. So this is important so that you don't just continuously keep attacking cells in your body and are central to preventing autoimmunity. And then you have the T memory cells, which go around and remember the previous infection so that if the infection happens again, it can have a quicker response. Okay, so T cells have a couple different roles there. They remember previous illnesses and go in to fight them. They regulate the immune system so that the white blood cells don't go in and just keep killing everything indiscriminately. And what was the other one? Uh, they, they also actually kill cells. And they go in and kill cells. Yes. are separate from the killer cells. Yeah, they have a targeted response where the natural killer cells are not targeted. Okay, so T-cells are super important, basically. Yes. You need them to have immunity, okay. whilst the natural killers you need to just respond to an infection in the first place. Okay. Good so, crash course in immunology. What, so, what am I supposed to get from this? You basically have no immune system. With this illness? Yeah. Exit makes you have no immune system? Basically, yes. So it's gotten rid of... So it means you don't produce T-cells... Or killer cells? Yeah. Or at least in, va in levels that are so low that it means nothing. That seems like a really big problem. 
Yeah, hence why in the story, David Vetter was isolated for 12 years of his life. He couldn't face a single infection without the risk of death. Oh my goodness, because there are just, there are so many little pathogens out there that could kill us at any time if we didn't have an immune system. Yeah. So it's kind of obvious what the symptoms are for a condition like this. Lots of chronic infections throughout your life. So depending on what infects you will determine what symptoms you have. And without treatment, unfortunately, many kids don't live beyond infancy. Oh gosh. Because as children, you're being exposed to all those things for the first time, and your body can't fight them. Yes, exactly. So so how do they diagnose Exid? Well, the first test that you would do is to count the immune cells, provided that this was a novel case that you weren't expecting. And you'd just take a blood sample, and you'd count how many T-cells the person has in their blood, and how many natural killer cells. And typically... T-cells will be a third the normal level or less, and natural killer cells will normally be about a quarter of the normal level or less. And can this be done in babies? Yeah, just do a quick blood test. Do, do babies already produce enough of all those cells to measure it this way? Yes. Oh, cool. Another test that you can do is to vaccinate someone, and then if they don't produce any antibodies in response to that, then that's another sign that they have exit. And you can also take a look at their thymus gland, which is the gland that turns cells into T-cells, hence the name, T-cell. And in their case, what's happening is because it's not being used, and therefore it's not turning white blood cells into T-cells, it starts shrinking from lack of use. So where, where are the white cells being produced? So white blood cells are produced in the bone marrow, and then some of them, under this category called lymphocytes, will then move to an organ called the thymus gland, and in the thymus gland they get turned into T-cells. But because the cells are not in the first place making it to the thymus gland, it can't make the T-cells, and therefore the lack of use means that the organ shrinks. Okay, so having a really small thymus gland could be a way to diagnose this condition. Yes, and then the final diagnosis is a genetic screen, which in the US is actually included in the baby heel prick test. Oh, wow. So it's common enough that they test every newborn for it? Um, I don't know if it's that it's common enough, or if it's just that, they that um, the US has decided that when they conduct these tests, they're going to cover many of them. Because when I looked, there was something like a hundred genetic diseases that are tested in the heel prick screen. Oh, cool. Some of it may also just be because of how expensive it could be to um, maintain a child with this condition, so it's good to know early. Yeah, well, I guess if you don't know that the child has the condition, then they could have an infection and die before you even realised what was happening. Yeah, just like with the vet's firstborn, where he died at seven months old. Gosh. So, thankfully, there are some treatment options. Okay, yeah, how do you... how do you fix this? So, the first option is to just try and prevent it. So, genetic counselling, as I've mentioned before. So, parents are screened, and if they have the gene that can cause this illness, then they're counselled on IVF therapy, or maybe not having children, family planning. But there are also 
methods for once you have exited. So you can protect the individual from infection, so keep them in a sterile environment, no contact with people, sterilizing everything that goes into their environment, as happened with David Vetter. Unfortunately, in his case, he was stuck in that situation for the longest that anyone ever has been, a staggering 12 years. What kind of life must that be for somebody to be trapped in a bubble? I don't think anyone can truly understand that without experiencing it. There are other treatments. You can give people infusions of immunoglobulins. Now, they are just a type of antibody that are used for protecting you. So if you keep getting infusions of them, they just clump around infectious material and stop them from getting into cells and infecting you. So just kind of a generic will will clump around all infections? Uh, different ones will have different types, but basically for people who have these sort of suppressed immune systems, they've made a cocktail of them that they inject into people. Okay, so you're kind of injecting people with a bit of the immune system they're lacking. Yes. But not all of it. Yeah. And other treatments also include uh, transfusions of especially prepared irradiated blood. Irradiated blood? So the blood's irradiated to kill the immune cells that have come from the donor. And this is to prevent the donated blood from basically attacking the body. Because the blood that comes in would have a functional immune system and it wouldn't meet a functional immune system, so it would win. So if you just took somebody else's blood into your system, it will start attacking you? In this condition, yes. That's a problem for vampires. <laughs> right. Would you like to know a potential cure? You can cure it? Yes, yes you can. And this was what the Vetter family were hoping for, which is a bone marrow transplant. Now, 90% of infants can now be treated this way, which is good. Wow, that's huge. Yes, definitely. Um, in rare cases, families have had saviour siblings to facilitate this. What does that mean? You know my sister's keeper? That really, really sad book. That is based around the concept of a saviour sibling. A saviour sibling is a child that is born to donate organs or tissue in order to maintain the health of their other sibling. Okay, because, and that's because a sibling is more likely to be born with organs or tissue that is similar enough to their sibling that they can donate it. Yeah, they're more likely to have compatible tissue. Now, obviously... It's worth stressing that this is extremely rare, that you have parents that will actually resort to having a sibling for that purpose. And it's also worth stressing that this is obviously abuse. So how does a bone marrow transplant cure the condition? You basically give the person a fresh working immune system. Just like that? Yeah. The uh, bone marrow is full of a bunch of stem cells, so it can keep remaking itself. And it, the donor will not have that faulty gene, so they can make working B, T, and natural killer cells. So they're just kind of getting a new immune system. 
Yes. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. So if you can get a bone marrow transplant, how long could somebody with this condition live? Normal life expectancy. That's amazing. So it truly is a cure. Yes, it is a cure. Wow. Okay, so do you want to know what type of mutation this is? Yeah. So this is what's called an X-linked recessive disorder. So what X-linked recessive means is that it's carried through the X chromosome, but you need both copies if you're a woman to get the illness, whilst you only need one copy to get the illness if you're a man. Therefore, a man could get it from a mother who has no symptoms, whilst a woman would have to get it from a mother who has potentially no symptoms, but their father would have symptoms. In some rare cases, this can also happen through random mutation, though. So you can get it without either parent having had it? Yes. That's extremely unlucky. Oh yeah, especially with how rare the condition is. And uh, the gene itself that is affected is an interesting gene called IL-2RG, which just means the interleukin-2 receptor gamma. Now, interleukin-2 is one of these chemicals that is called a cytokine that is used for regulating the immune system. And in this case, what it does is this gene will encode for a receptor that responds to five different types of interleukins. And you either end up with a non-functional version of this receptor or no production of the receptor at all. So obviously there's a change in the severity depending on what type. Now, the IL-2R gene provides instructions on making a protein that is critical for normal immune system function, and the protein is necessary for the growth and maturation of developing immune system cells called lymphocytes. Now, lymphocytes are those white blood cells that become T and B cells, the B cells being the antibody-producing ones. So basically, the whole adaptive immune response is gone just because of that mutation and the body cannot adapt to and remember any previous infections as a result of it. Okay, that was a lot there. <laughs> so, the genetic mutation, it's stopping you producing the T-cells and killer cells because of lymphocytes? Because the lymphocytes won't develop. So you need developed lymphocytes to become T-cells, B-cells, and natural killer cells. Oh, okay. So it's they're not producing the the base cell that develops into the more specialized immune cells. Yes. Okay. So how common is exit? No one really knows. It's believed to be between one in every fifty thousand and one in every hundred thousand newborns. That seems pretty rare. That's very rare, and. About 80% of people with XSID are male, which makes sense when you consider that it's an X-linked recessive disorder. The odds are much higher of men getting the disease because they just need one copy compared to women who need two copies. Also, XSID is the most common form of severe combined immunodeficiency, and of all that group of conditions, it accounts for between 46 and 70% of all cases, depending on who's been serving it. I have a question. So, severe combined immunodeficiency, is that something that 
HIV AIDS falls into? So AIDS stands for Acquired Immunodeficiency Syndrome. In that case, what it means is that the HIV virus has caused you to become immunodeficient. So you are in a similar state as you are in this. However, for some cases, particularly severe cases of exit, you have absolutely no immune system rather than a severely repressed immune system. Okay, but since a lot of us are familiar with the idea that AIDS severely compromises your immune system, and so that's kind of a good jumping off place to understand this, this condition, yeah. it's just much more extreme. Yeah, if you were making a comparison, it would be that same level of vulnerability of the immune system as someone with what would be called in the 80s full-blown AIDS. Okay, that's really helpful. Now, sadly, because of these uh, problems of the immune system, there are a couple of uh, comorbidities or other illnesses associated with it. Feels like it would be pretty much all other illnesses. <laughs> well, yeah. Every uh, I've written down here so many infections that I just can't list them. Pretty much anything that is an external pathogen, right? Yeah, literally anything infectious is a serious risk. But there is also one other problem you can get, which is called non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Now, what that means is that you've got uh, cancer cells being produced in the uh, lymph in the lymph lymphatic system, which is part of the immune system. Okay. And because you aren't producing the T cells, they can't kill the cancer cells. Therefore, the cancer develops. So you're at a higher risk of cancer? Much higher. You have no way to fight off potential cancers in the first place. So where someone else could have multiple potential cancers being produced, but their immune system fights it off, in Exid, you have no way of fighting it off. Wow, I'd never thought of cancer as a thing I could just be quietly developing all the time and my body killing it. Yeah, and I think before we take a break, it's probably just worth noting that everyone inside them has a cancer fighter. Thank you, immune system. Okay, let's get back into it. So when did we first figure out about Exid? So the Exid mutation was discovered in uh, 1993. So the mutation in that ILI2RG. Very recently. Yes, and that makes sense. If people aren't living for very long, and it's as rare as one in a 100,000 people, it's very hard to get enough cases to then say... This is the gene that's different. Okay, so I presume that also means it's really hard to trace back through history because it will have been just one of those things that killed infants yeah. that was grouped into a general failure to thrive category for babies. Yeah, I could find no records going particularly far back that would indicate someone had exit, probably because you'd be looking for something very obscure like this family happened to have children that didn't survive beyond infancy 
but that could also mean that they have other genetic disorders. So with this illness killing most infants that have it, how has it managed to be passed on for so long? Just because it's recessive? Uh, so I think the reason that it's still around is possibly just random as because it is recessive, people can pass it off without symptoms, but also some cases have arised because of random mutation. So it may not have been selected against in that regard. Interestingly, I wasn't actually able to find any genetic history to this either, because no one has done any research into it. And this is probably just because the condition is so rare that it's difficult to get enough genetic data to date it. Although strangely, I did find out that there are two forms of exid that exist in another animal. What animal? Very specifically, the basset hound. Not dogs in general, just basset hounds? Just basset hounds. Oh. Now, that's probably because every pedigree dog is often heavily inbred, and this has probably arisen as a result of that inbreeding. And that's because... Sorry, how does inbreeding cause genetic diseases again? We've not really gotten into it before. If you have a disorder in your genome, and you then have a child with someone who has a very similar genome to you, and then they have a child with someone who's related to them, who will therefore have a very similar genome to them, then the gen the genetic pool gets smaller and smaller. So the differences between everyone who is in that group of uh, people in that population that's then breeding and reproducing gets less and less and less. So if you have a genetic disorder, it will become more and more common because people become more and more similar, and therefore there's less variety for that condition to be hidden under. So basically, anything that would normally be recessive, you have a much higher chance of getting it from both parents. Yeah, because everyone's got a copy. Okay. And for that reason, it's very important to say that where you can, probably support crossbreeds and mutts. Yes, all doggos should be loved. So where are we now with Exid? You've said we can treat it. What's happening and what's happening to treat it beside bone marrow transplants? Well, we do have some gene therapy on the way. The first gene therapy trial for Exid was conducted in the 2000s, and this used a viral vector, so a virus, to deliver a normal copy of the mutated gene and to try and restore the T-cell function in children through that route. Whoa, so send a virus in with the right kind of... So send a virus in with the gene, and because you're because the patient has no immune system, they're not going to kill the virus, and then... Well, the virus can make it in any way, because they're designed to infect cells. So they then go into the cell, and they drop off the gene. So it's like a viral UPS. <laughs> Unfortunately, during these trials, so in 2005, five of the children that were treated this way developed leukemia oh. after they were treated in Paris and London. So the trials were paused for a bit, and since that time the vectors have been redesigned, so the viruses have been modified, and they have new safeguards in place to remove the likely cancer-causing elements. And there are now several new clinical trials underway, but it's going, now going to take a bit more time for there to be a gene therapy treatment available on the market. 
gosh, that that's a really scary aspect of of developing new treatment options. Yeah, gene therapy, which we'll have to do a bonus episode at some point to go into it, but it covers a couple potentially complicated and dangerous things. Changing a gene, which could have consequences that you don't necessarily fully understand. Working with viruses, which could potentially have consequences that you don't fully understand. And changing how the body works, which again, you may not fully understand. But they are making big advances in it. So they are... So this could be a potential new treatment for people with exit? Yes. Yes, uh, in time, this should hopefully become an effective treatment. Okay, so now let's get into... So what what should we all know to help improve a patient's life who has exit? Well, the first thing is wash your bloody hands. Because no matter who you're around, that's just a good practice. But if anyone has any form of compromised immune system or takes anything that suppresses their immune system... Proper hygiene around them is important. Otherwise, other things that are useful to do are to vaccinate yourself. Because people with with suppressed immune systems can't have, for example, live vaccines, and therefore depend on herd immunity. And if they have exit, and they're still undergoing certain treatments, they don't have a working immune system, so they can't develop a resistance based off of the vaccine. So they are entirely dependent on herd immunity. So you must wash your hands and vaccinate yourself if you want to protect someone with exit. Yeah, these things aren't just for you. It's all about the population as a whole. Well, that's the mistake people make. People who are against vaccination typically think that it is about their choice, when the reality is that it's about other people's safety. Other things that you can do to help improve the lives of people with exit is to support funding for research. It's a rare condition so it doesn't get the coverage that many other conditions get, and it definitely doesn't get the coverage that it needs. And if you're brave enough, donate bone marrow. Is that something you can just walk into a hospital and do? You can go into a hospital and you can offer to donate bone marrow. They will check your health to make sure that you are uh, that you are a viable candidate. So if you received a blood transfusion, there's a good chance that you will not be allowed to donate bone marrow because you could be carrying some infectious agents that can't be screened for. But you could then end up on, they'll test your bone marrow and you end up on a bone marrow donor list. And then what they can do is any time that someone needs a bone marrow transplant, they will screen that individual's bone marrow and they will then test it against that entire list. And if you match, you have the chance to save a life. Wow. So if if donating blood is not doing enough good for you also go get yourself on the bone marrow transplant list (laughs) yes but be aware it is very painful so i do say that you are being very brave if you do donate for it but you're also being a saint so what do people need to do to destigmatize this condition for those that have it well i didn't find much in the way of stigma surrounding this condition and it might just be because it's so rare that people aren't really able to form typical biases and pass them around. But I guess the first assumption would be, well, I guess the first thing would be to not assume that someone has to live in a bubble if they have exit. They may be getting immunoglobulin treatment, which means that they can be in the outside world. 
They may have had a bone marrow transplant, so they're basically cured. Other than that, as with everyone, it's best to just be patient. Ask someone who has exit what they need from you. And that's about it, really. Yeah, and I think a lot more people are on... I think there's a lot more people who have compromised immune systems in some way than you'd normally realize. And so it's, you know, it's one of those things that everybody is not going to understand what it means to live with a compromised immune system. But if you meet somebody that does have one, ask what you can do to keep them safe. They'll really appreciate it. Can confirm that. So... I've only got one bit of recommended reading, and it's a book rather than a scientific paper. Now this book is called Bursting the Bubble, The Tortured Life and Untimely Death of David Vetter. And this book was actually banned from being released for a period of time, and I cannot remember the full details for it. I think part of it was the Vetter family's wishes, which is fair, but it's very good to give you a give you an idea of what life was like in the bubble. That sounds like a really amazing story, but also really sad. Yes, definitely. And with that, we're at the end of our episode. Okay, this has been a really interesting one. Yeah, it's been fascinating, hasn't it? Yeah, if you have any questions you'd like to ask us, well, ask Ant, (laughs) about this condition or any of the others we've covered, or even ones you want us to cover, you can get in contact with us on our Twitter at geneticdrift1, on email at geneticdriftpodcast at gmail.com, or join our Facebook group and get the discussion going there. Definitely. I would definitely recommend that. And with that, the music for this episode, as with every other one, is produced by William Kitchener Music. Now, be kind to everyone because you can't see the genes, so don't expect to see the illness. Goodbye. Bye.